Now, that gave you time to find Romans chapter 8. Some of you are like, nope, my finger has been stuck in Romans 8 for over a month now. And uh, this, this great jewel of a chapter uh, will come to a conclusion today. Let me say this. The title of the message is Champions Guaranteed. You're a champion. You, you will win this championship of life, and it's guaranteed. You know Vegas has come out with the odds already on the BCS championship upcoming this year, this football season. Just to, for some of you men that are curious about where it all falls out, um, if, if you were Playing the odds, and I'm not, I'm not planning a trip to Vegas or making any phone calls or doing online gambling or anything, but here are the odds. Bama, everybody says boo, three to one odds uh, for Bama. They're the, they're the top odds receivers. And then you have uh, Ohio State. They'll give you 13 to two on Ohio State and 13 to two on Texas A&M. Oregon gets seven to one odds, and fifth, is the University of Georgia, they get uh, 14 to 1 odds. And then it's all downhill after that. Uh, not a lot of hope. Uh, I guess somebody, if they, they pick um, Georgia Tech to win, and Georgia Tech wins the national championship, they'll make a lot of money because the odds makers aren't giving them much hope, right? So the yays and the boos and, and all of that. I'm not a betting man. I don't play the lottery. Um, I don't like games of chance. If somebody tries to sell me a raffle ticket for a good cause, if the Lord wants me to give to that cause, I'll give the money but won't take the raffle ticket because I never want my motives to be questioned when it comes to this thing of games of chance. But having said that, if you are in Christ covered in his blood, you're a child of the king, I would bet on you today. You say, Pastor, you would gamble? You would bet? No, it's not, it's not a gamble. It's not a gamble. If you were to give me the winning numbers for the lottery, then I might play. Give them to me at a time. Guarantee these are going to be the winning numbers. Then it wouldn't be a gamble, would it? It would be a sure thing. That's what I want you to understand about your salvation, your faith in Christ, the fact that you're a child of the King, you're covered in His blood. It's not a gamble. You're a champion, guaranteed. Paul closes out this chapter by reinforcing some liberating truths. We're set free from condemnation. We're a child of the king of this universe. We've been adopted. We are free from obligation to sin. We are free from bondage to sin. We are held together when the world falls apart because of the security of God's protection, his hope that perseveres, and his sovereign purpose at work in our life. We've read all of that, we've studied that, and I pray that we're beginning to truly believe all this. Jesus now can promise us victory. Why? And why is Paul so certain of this victory? You need to know you're going to be battle-tested when that day comes, when you're receiving that crown of life. But Paul wants us to know that in the midst of the testing, in the midst of being battle-tested, victory is absolutely guaranteed because there's going to be a little paradox of faith that enters in. God's going to give the victory. As a matter of fact, God has already gained and given the victory to his children. 
He gained the victory for you on the cross through the empty grave that we just sang about. And he has given it to you the day you received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You became a champion for Christ. But there's a paradox to that. And that is, you still have to make a choice day in and day out to fight the battle. You say, it don't make sense. The battle's already won. Why have I got to fight the battle? You know, the Bible is full of paradoxical truths. The Bible itself is a divine human book. It is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. But God moved on men, carried them along by the Holy Spirit in order to pen this book. It is a paradox. It is a divine human book. Jesus Christ was not half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. That's a paradox that we embrace by faith. Salvation it just can be summarized but from, from a couple of theological perspectives for those that believe in sovereign election, which I do because it's in the Bible, and those who believe in free will, and I do because it's in the Bible, the fact that the elect are the whosoever will, that's a paradox of faith, and we can't get our mind around that. Some people think they can, but we really we, we don't always understand. We receive these paradox of faith moments by faith. Why do we need to understand that? Because just as grace is not a license to sin, but that which liberates you from sin, the invitation to get in on this victory, to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, to be a champion for Christ, does not give you permission to be passive in your faith because you're going to be fighting some battles. You're going to be at work, joining God at work, very active for the cause of Christ. So here's what's happening in verses 31 through 39. Through a series of rhetorical questions, Paul lets us know that these promises of God are going to be tested promises. But if you are in Christ, you're going to join the battle, and you're going to win the battle. You are already a champion for the cause. So there are two basic lines of attack assumed in these rhetorical questions. Two basic lines of attack. Let me give you these two basic lines of attack. The first one is the accusations of the unrighteous persons. The second one is the accumulation of unsolicited problems. So let's look at the first. Accusations of unrighteous persons. Verse 31, who can stand against us? What are we going to say these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? Someone's going to try to stand against you. That's the assumption. And then in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's the first couple of these rhetorical questions. Who can stand against us? Luke chapter 21 and verse 12 reminds us that in the last days, there will be a worldly system that is going to persecute you. Jesus said they will even throw you in prison for my name's sake. Church, do you realize that we are getting closer and closer to an age where if I stand up and preach this book and say something like marriage is for one man, one man for one woman for a lifetime, we are getting closer and closer to the day that I can be charged with a hate crime for that and be thrown into prison. But certainly those disciples in the first century realized that because they were thrown into prison. Human governments will persecute you for Christ's namesake, he prophesied. In Ephesians chapter 10, verses, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we're reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So the, 
the people of this world and this worldly system will seem to be standing against you, but ultimately it's the devil himself and all of the fallen angels that are bringing all hell against the body of Christ. It's a battle that I mentioned before that you weren't fighting before you got saved. You were just a casualty of war, but now you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his love, into the kingdom of light, so you are now beginning to battle. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, we're told that Satan will ultimately be cast down, and it says not only will he be cast down, but the saints, that's me and you, the saints will have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they will love not their lives to the death, willing to die for Christ. The accusations of unrighteous persons will be defeated because we are champions in Christ. Every victory... Christ secured is yours. Look back at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Everything he secured for you for the abundant life in Christ in this world and the eternal life in heaven became yours. He's holding on to it, but it became yours on the day that you received Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord, and he says, if he went to the cross to do that for you, how will he not also with him freely give you all things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? There's an eternal inheritance there. Remember, look back at verse 17 in this chapter. If we're children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Everything that's coming to Christ is coming to us. He says, it's, it's as good as done. And then we begin to see some courtroom imagery. Who shall bring a charge, verse 33, against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Another rhetorical question. These are the accusations of the unrighteous that are being assumed here. It is God, it is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Do you think that it's possible that you can be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and having Jesus Christ praying you through at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ himself praying for you, and you not be a champion for Christ, and you not be victorious in this life? Christ's blood fell, the Holy Spirit's sealing fell, and his prayer fell. Again, let me remind you, it's not about our ability to hold on to him. It's about him holding on to us. Again, it's courtroom language here. It's, it's understanding that our adversary, the prosecuting attorney, is going to come out and say, but, but they did this. They, remember, no condemnation, but they did this, they did that. You don't understand what they're responsible for. But your advocate, listen to this, church. Your advocate trumps your adversary because he is also judge. <laughs> your advocate trumps your adversary because he is also judge and he is also the one who atones for your sins. There's a great scene C.S. Lewis portrays in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. A great scene there. 
where the white witch comes before Aslan, Aslan representing Christ, making an accusation against Edmund because Edmund had strayed, because Edmund had been defiant, because Edmund had wandered in her direction. And she's saying, according to your law, he must die. But Aslan explains that he will not have to die because he will give his life in the place of Edmund. Now what's different about C.S. Lewis' version of this and the theology of Christ dying for us is this. It wasn't Satan and his demons killing Christ on the cross. It was Christ intercepting the wrath of God on our behalf. But he is the one who atoned for our sins on Calvary's cross so that we would not have to be condemned. So our advocate, the one who is our defense attorney, our defense attorney, easy for me to say, right? The one who argues for our freedom is the one who paid the price to set us free. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received of God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price was the very blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 reminds us, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We were redeemed. We were purchased Our salvation was bought, our eternity was sealed, not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Silver and gold and everything in this world will fail, but the blood of Christ will not fail you. Your championship overcomes the accusations of unrighteous persons. Accusations come from the enemy in all kinds of moments, moments of emotional vulnerability, Moments of depression, moments of spiritual defeat, to keep you defeated, to say you're a loser. I love the old t-shirt that said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Christ has already won the victory. Accusations will come from friends, teenagers. Listen, accusations will come from those who want to get you involved in temptation sensual activity. They will say, listen, you've already messed up. You've already failed. You might as well engage yourself in this kind of behavior. Adults, young people, they will say, well, you're nothing but a hypocrite, so you might as well do what I'm doing. Accusations. Remember, we said, no, that's not what God says. He says, you're a child of the one true king. Sometimes we just need to remember who we are and whose we are when those moments come. When those accusations come. As a matter of fact, let's practice that a little bit. Can I get you to repeat after me? You can do that right. Repeat after me. Let's give it a try. I'm going to give you a phrase at a time. I'm doing a wedding next weekend. I just give them a little bit at a time, right? So you can keep up with me here. A phrase at a time. I want to hear you loud and clear, young and old. Here we go. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I'm a new creation. My life is in His hands. My sins have been forgiven. Satan is a defeated foe. 
and nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Try that the next time accusations come your way. Remind yourself and the enemy, remind the accuser, the accuser of the brethren that was cast down in Revelation 12 and verse 10. That you don't have to listen to the accusations of unrighteous persons anymore. Secondly, here's one. We can't over-spiritualize everything, so here's the second one. The accumulation of unsolicited problems. Just real briefly, look at these unsolicited problems. By unsolicited, I mean you didn't ask for them. They're they're just part of living in a fallen, a sin-fallen world. Verses 20 and 21, we saw that this world is sin-fallen, this world is corrupt, this world needs to be redeemed itself, and as a result of living in a sin-fallen world, bad things just happen. And so we have unsolicited problems that will try to defeat us, but we're going to be victorious over these. Verse 35, who shall separate us? Now, it's almost as if he could have said, what shall separate us when we look at the answer? But he personifies these problems. Shall tribulation? Tribulation is a general term for troubled times when we go through hard times. Shall distress Distress refers to those hardships from the outside that affect the inside. When we have hardships on the outside, those things we're not responsible for, but they affect us on the inside because we're responsible to those things we're not responsible for. We are response-able. We're able to respond. Faith isn't always avoiding these situations. It's how we respond when they come our way. Lost a job things that make you worry, rejection, maybe even of a family member, a spouse, grief, loss, death, those things that bring distress into our life. The next word he uses is persecution. It's when they attack you because of your faith. Jesus also promised in the Beatitudes that this is going to happen. He says, as a matter of fact, blessed, thank you, Jesus, blessed are you, when they persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil things about you because of my sake. Listen, if you're taking a stand for Christ, we're told in Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's part of the package. It's part of the deal. Remember we saw it earlier in the suffering section in this chapter? Part of identifying with Christ is experiencing suffering in this life. You will be persecuted if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus. It may be as simple, young people, as being made fun of at school because you take a stand on the scriptures rather than what this world wants you to do. Or it may be that one day, adults, you lose your job because of a stand that you take for Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you suffer this persecution for my name's sake. And then there's famine and nakedness. When you have nothing. When you've lost everything, even your health. Our life groups studied the life of Job. When you go through those Job moments in life and you have nothing to hold on to but God. Reminded by a plaque that I have Miss Diane Aaron gave me after Job passed away. Because I saw it in their home all the time. When you get to the place where you find that God's all you have, you'll discover that God is enough. God is enough. And it's a blessed place to be when you discover that God is enough. 
Then he says peril or sword. So if, if you're experiencing grave danger in life, you have the promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. Listen to these. We'll wrap up. It says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought past the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So even in peril or sword, even if you lose your life, you come out a champion. Isn't that what happened to Stephen? Stephen took a stand for Christ. They pick up stones and begin to stone him. And he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And Stephen, in his being stoned to death, stepped right into the presence of Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the championship, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peril or sword have nothing. You are a victorious child of God because nothing... Look, here's how he summarizes everything. You are a victorious child of God. And all these things, you are, verse 37, more than conquerors. There's a huper nakeo, and we get our word Nike from this and our word super from this compound word, and uh, some of you may have wondered what the Nike stands for in, in that name brand for a shoe. It's a Greek word that just means conqueror, overcomer. And the prefix there has to do with super, being super abundantly above, being, being more than. So you are super conquerors. You are super overcomers through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers, things present, things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. That's Paul is saying, listen, everything that's out there that can come against you, any accusation, any problem that has accumulated in your life, none of that will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, championship guaranteed you are victorious. I pray that we get the message of Romans 8. Many, many years ago, a lady by the name of Frances Jane Crosby. Some of you recognize that. She was known as Fanny Crosby. Blind from shortly after birth, not only gave herself to the Word of God, to lots of rescue mission work, she also happened to write over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. Now, I knew she had written a lot, but 8,000? And perhaps none capture this message more. And listen, she wrote, wrote some great hymns like Blessed Assurance. Some of the young people thought Third Day came out with that, right? Here, here's my favorite. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. 
Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, here's the invitation. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. He has secured our championship. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the fact that in him we are champions guaranteed. So, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of what we have studied in this great chapter in your word, that we will live our lives as an overflow of these promises in us, of your spirit at work within us. May we take this message to the world and extend this same invitation. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory, great things he hath done.